Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area. Providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Banking with greater momentum. And by Shewart & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Mansers on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Seafood is something we do well here in South Louisiana, and we're fortunate to be blessed with an abundance of mollusks, crustaceans, and finfish that not only keep our local population well-fed, but have enabled Louisiana cooks and chefs to be recognized around the world for their culinary exploits. So you might think there's not much room for improvement, but you would be wrong. My guests today have come up with a way to create a better oyster. That's right, not a better way to prepare oysters, but to actually make a better oyster. They're scientists who, through careful research, have figured out how to breed a better-tasting, more flavorful oyster, so good some local restaurants refuse even to char-grill it so as not to detract from its natural goodness. These scientists are a husband and wife team, Steve Pollock and Ginger Brennanstuhl, who teach biology at LSU by day and the rest of the time raise oysters at their farm, the Triple N Oyster Farm, in the Caminata Bay near Grand Isle. The secret to Triple N success is a new method of raising oysters in floating containers instead of in beds on the seafloor. Not only do the oysters taste better, but they grow more quickly. Steve and Ginger hit upon the idea just three years ago and harvested their first batch in 2016. So far, it's been a runaway success. They are here to share their so very interesting story with us today. Welcome to Out to Lunch. And to Mansur's, a restaurant that is familiar with your very wonderful oyster. So everybody wants to build a better mousetrap. How did y'all figure out how to build a better oyster? Well, I don't think we'll, we'll take full credit for We can't it. take credit for that. Uh, the oysters <laughs> we use are actually proprietary oysters. Okay. The method to make those oysters were actually patented and protected for 20 years, and that patent is just laid out in March. Wow. So the oysters that we use are called, uh, in, in common terms, seedless oysters. Seedless. Seedless. So they don't waste any time producing any of the milkiness that you usually see mm -hmm. in a wild oyster, especially through the summer months. Uh, they don't waste their time producing uh, gametes, so they don't waste any time mating. So they okay. kind of sit in, the, in our cage So they're floating. like eunuch oysters, sort of, asexual oysters. They're like asexual oysters, gotcha. so they don't produce any of the milkiness that a lot of people don't enjoy in the oyster. And because they don't convert a lot of their winter meat into the milkiness they stay fat and juicy all summer long and that's the true niche market for these gotcha. we actually did not produce that or the technology but we use that technology to market a, a superior oyster especially through those summer months when traditionally uh, those oysters aren't eaten right 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 and so these particular oysters um that were proprietary i mean this was like a genetic thing that somebody hit on 20 yes, years ago in out here in Louisiana or out of state somewhere up else? in the, up in the Northeast there okay. was one group uh, I believe out of Maryland and there was another research group out in Washington State mm -hmm. and they both came upon this idea of producing a, a triploid oyster and that's that's the semi sterile oyster that we're gotcha. talking about and shortly thereafter they patented the process so and if it's a, if it's an asexual oyster how does it grow I mean how do they well, breed or do you all do that for well, you them? don't you don't have to 
You don't have to have sex to, to grow, but you do have to have sex in order, as if you're an animal, in order to make baby oysters, right. made new oysters. Uh, and so the hatchery uses tetraploid oysters that have a genetic makeup where they have four copies of their DNA, and they cross those to a wild oyster that only has two. Four plus two is six. Divide that by two, you get three, and so you get triploid. Gotcha. Um, triploid oysters by mating a tetraploid to a diploid oyster. And so that's what the hatcheries do. Okay. Um, it, hatchery here in Grand, that's in Grand Isle, and then the hatchery that's in Alabama, and then those in the Northeast, they, that's, they do that for us. And then we buy the larvae from them or the seed from them, one of those two things, and raise them ourselves. So we actually, at this point, don't mate them ourselves. Gotcha. Now... Yeah. At the Triple N Oyster Farm, you all use these floating containers? Yeah, we use and, a floating and, and cage technology to grow them. And what does that do to make them better? So they're not down in the bottom in the mud, so they're, they're a lot cleaner. Uh, they also grow much quicker because they're up in the top of the water column where there's more oxygen, where there's better flow of water. And we actually maintain those cages quite regularly. We, we flip nice. them over so the oysters are moving around and in the weather like we're having right now down in Grand Isle, those cages are popping up and down in the waves and that action and that's good. causes the oysters to hit each other and when they hit each other they actually chip the very edges of the oyster and that forces them to form a really deep cup. Okay. And so you get this really nice premium top shelf type oyster by growing them in this way and they're very uniform as well in size and shape and a lot of the top end restaurants absolutely love that. Uh, when they're serving their clientele. So interesting. And I guess if they're not down there on the on the sea floor, you don't have to worry as much about bacterial contamination or things like that? Well, st studies have shown no difference in the, in the Vibrio bacteria that cause most of the illnesses associated with eating raw oysters. It's just a natural component of the environment. And the oysters are filter feeders, so wherever there's bacteria, wherever there's algae, uh, they're going to take some of that up into their shell. And so there's not that much of a difference in, in the pathogenic strains that do cause issues. So how many of these oysters are y'all growing these days? We have about 500 cages out yeah, there. but You all have 500 cages 500 at the cages. Triple N Oyster Farm. But and so when vary. we talk about it, a Triple N Oyster Farm is really just a bunch of cages out in a specific area of the water, right? Yeah, it we, is. Have a, we have a two-acre plot. A two-acre plot. about okay. 300 feet by 300 feet. And we have eight lines that are 300 feet long. And on each one of those lines... There's approximately 70 cages. Okay. Each one of those cages to market will have about 200 to 250 oysters in them. Okay. But we and do what's the germination period? How long does it take from the, <laughs> I don't know, whatever you call the so beginning? We do but call the, the baby oysters seed, but, okay. but they're already oysters. Mm -hmm. just really small. It'll be a one millimeter to a two, two millimeter oyster. We sell them as seed. We actually grow some at our pharmacy, but it takes six months to get to our minimum size, which is a two and a half inch oyster. But really, the optimal oyster that comes from our plot is probably more like a year out at the farm, okay. about 12 months. A whole months. year. They spend a whole year in the water. Yes, ma'am. Okay, excellent. And we don't, it's not just you just put them out there and, and you come back in a year and get them. There's a lot of maintenance that you have to do during that time. Some of those cages have tens of thousands, some have thousands, depending on how big the oysters are. The really small ones we can raise in the bottle nursery that we have at the camp. But when they get bigger, we have to put them at the farm. And we don't put them, when they're very, very tiny, 250 in a big cage. That's too few. And 
they would they would take up too much you know, space on the plot. We, we right. can too much put, real estate. We can put far more. What's that? Too much real estate. Yeah, too much so real estate. So, so we have to put a whole bunch in a bag. We raise them in amounts, and then we have to dilute them. And so on a weekly basis, we tend to the cages that have thousands and thousands of oysters in them, and we take them out and we transfer them to other bags so that we don't have too many in one bag, so that they have space to move around, they have space to feed. And gotcha. So we, we do have to tend to them Is this a regularly. trademark technology that is y- unique to Triple N, or are there other competitors out there doing this? Well, we are unique in our location. Um, there's another, there are two other farmers now with us. Um, one is not started yet, one is a year older than we are. He, d- he uses a different system than we do. He uses large oyster grow cages that can hold six of our bags. Um, he requires a crane to lift and it's a very much bigger operation. Um, ours though, our system is, our first system failed. Okay. You know, the first year we were there, we put we had a system in place that worked great in bays of North Carolina and maybe Alabama, but the conditions where we are, the waves, the currents, we had no idea the winds, the cold fronts, so how the strong. little oysters just didn't grow. Oh, we lost cages. The ropes broke free. Wow. We realized really fast that if we didn't do something quick, we were going to lose everything we had, and so we sunk them all. We put them right on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that took a lot of physical effort <laughs> over the next several months to pull them up one at a time. And so you two to create a new system. Go out there and harvest. Y'all are the farmers, and you go out in a little boat and then get in the water and do all this yourselves. Oh yeah, yes. I'm out in the water four days a week probably. Do you enjoy that? Doing the maintenance. It's nice, nice and quiet, and dolphins come by and birds fly by, and but the Arctic birds that have come down now follow you around. They don't the know you. And, uh, they don't know you, so they come right up to you. How far <laughs> offshore are you? Well, we're, we're really close to the, the island itself. Grand Isle. But it's, a, but it's about a five-mile boat ride from our property, and it's about a mile away from Grand Isle. Okay. It's in a protected little area where there's an island to the north as well. So when we get these really strong cold fronts that are coming in, that north wind actually is, is, is buffeted a little bit from hitting our cages. Interesting. But losing cages is an issue. But if you, if you talk to a crab, crab man about his, his crab traps, they lose dozens of cages a year. It's, it's part of the... Sure. It's part of the deal. So, do you all actually own the sea bottom at your farm, or no, do you lease that? We it's lease it from the Port Commission of Grand Isle. They're two-acre plots. It's really, really cheap. It's two hundred dollars for two years. And they take care of all the permitting, so they already nice. dealt with the Corps of Engineers, the Coast Guard, and the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries to allow us uh, to use that area to farm oysters. Okay. So specifically there for off-bottom yeah. floating cage culture. Now we've started a second business, which is an oyster nursery. And at that nursery right now, we have upwards of hopefully three to four million. Three to four million? Baby oysters right now. Wow, and that's a lot. Most of those are leaving the state of Louisiana. Most of those are going to Florida. And then and then presumably growers there will utilize some sort of floating cage technology. Yes, or something. exactly. Why isn't everybody growing their oysters this way? I mean, if the world has figured out now how to make better oysters. Well, in Louisiana in particular, there's a huge on-bottom traditional sure. culturing method. But they're not as good. But they're cheaper. Uh, the flavor isn't great all the time, but you can get good oysters from, from that market as well. The, the problem is, is, is several fold. One of the biggest issues that the state's recognizing is the drop in 
public oyster grounds year after year after year. For this year, for instance, in their assessment, we had a 50% drop in oyster populations on state-owned oyster reefs. Why? 50% drop That's from year huge. to year. Why is that? Nobody knows for sure. Most people think it's the fresh water that's coming down from the Mississippi River, from the new diversions that are opening. So there's a lot of politics right now and a lot of court cases going through to try to prevent any further diversions from opening up along that Mississippi River Delta. Uh, But there's also pathogens. The oysters get attacked by bacteria, by viruses. They get attacked by all sorts of infectious organisms. They get eaten by black drum. There's oyster drills. There's these really cool little snails. The black drum snails. will eat the oysters even when they're in even the shell? Even bigger. They'll, oh, take a, yes. they'll take a whole huge oyster in their mouth, and they'll get it down into their throat, and they can crunch that whole oyster shell and devastate Crazy. areas. So that makes it really hard to put forth an effort to reestablish Louisiana's populations. There's also little snails called oyster drills. Down on the coast, they call them biganos. They're actually really good to eat, but if they get onto your oysters... They latch onto them, they have a little acid sac inside of them, and they actually excrete acid into that part of the shell of the oyster and make a really nice, fine hole through which they then suck that oyster out. In order to get in our cages, Uh those snails have to crawl up our lines because our cages are floating and the oyster or the snails themselves don't float. Um, Part of their stage does, though. Or, or can, but they'll they'll they can crawl up. They lay their eggs on the line, and then they make their way at some point into our cages when they're incredibly tiny. And so when we go out, and you know, one of the reasons we can't just take our oysters, put them in a bag, and leave them out for six months, we'll come out and they'll we'll come back and they'll all be dead. Um, we wow. have to check them. We have to take out the blue crab that hang out in our cages because they also get in when they're very small and then they can't get out once they grow too big. <laughs> Who would think that and a the snail snails do so too. sophisticated? And yeah. so the snails and the crabs both prey on the oysters and they do that not only in our cages but they do that in the wild and when they're in the wild there's no protection, there's no sure. someone coming along and p- pulling them off and diluting them. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're visiting with Ginger Brennan-Stool and Steve Pollock of the Triple N Oyster Farm. We'll be right back after this very short break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're visiting with Ginger Brennan-Stool and Steve Pollock of the Triple N Oyster Farm. Steve, are there oyster thieves that you have to worry about? Human thieves? Anybody steal the cages? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but that's yeah. definitely a problem with the public grounds. Right. Yeah. People do go and steal. So, but the public grounds, getting back to your original question, mm-hmm. uh, there's still a huge market for, for sacked oysters. Oh, yes. We get they're asked still, all the time. So it's just different. So people come by our property. We sell them right from our property in Grand Isle. And it's, well, how much is it for a sack? And so we have to educate them right off the bat and say, well, we don't sell them by the sack. We sell them by the count. So then he's just, well, how much for, for what you'd have in a sack? I was like, well, it just depends how much you want. If you want me to count out 50 oysters for you and throw them in a bag, it's $50. So we do So these are a dollar an oyster. oyster. And how does that compare to what a that's regular? Our, that's our same wholesale price to the restaurants. And the restaurants obviously have to mark that up. Sure. But how does that compare to what a regular oyster Oh, a regular oyster. For? If they yeah. buy a sack of oysters, the, the price this current fall during Thanksgiving for about 70 oysters, a half sack of oysters would be $50. Wow. So it's really so not are, that different, really. Mm-hmm. And all of our oysters are going to be live. They're going to be clean, they're going to have a superior flavor to them, and the meat a superior texture to them. 
So, so what are the economics for y'all? I mean, is this a, a good way to get rich quick scheme? Uh, the farm itself is pretty tough. <laughs> the, the farm, the equipment, just on the onset, several tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, the work, especially as a 45-year-old man, it's not in bad shape. I, every day I wake up after I work the farm and I'm sore You're sore, for really? Days. Uh, a younger individual, maybe in their 20s, they'd have an opportunity to really get in and start. And they're actually opening up a new mariculture zone right near Grand Isle uh, where they're going to be looking for people, hopefully some, some locals as well. That's one of the issues we've had in trying to get the local people to pick up on this and actually benefit from these farms that are just off their coastline. It's literally a boat ride away for them. So interesting. So how did you all decide to do this? I mean, you all are, are both scientists at LSU? So prior to August, <laughs> we were both instructors at LSU. Okay. Um, and you're not anymore? He, he resigned in August. Uh, we had our second part of our business, the nursery part, uh, succeeded very, very well this summer. And that allowed him the luxury of trading jobs, if you will. Okay. So becoming an oyster nurseryman and farmer full-time. And I kept my job at LSU. I love teaching. I think it would be hard to remove that from yeah. me as a person. And so I kept my position, and he's now a full-time commercial oysterman. <laughs> but when you were, you know, experimenting with this uh, methodology a few years ago, what, what uh, made you want to break off and do this? So... Yeah. So it came down to, I read the, I read a lot, and there's a little local newspaper that's made available in the grocery store down there on Grand Isle, the Lafourche Gazette, and I picked it up one day and I was reading it at the kitchen table and it had a little, little, little section saying that they were leasing water okay. in Caminata Bay to anyone who wanted to try to cultivate oysters. And I looked at my husband and I said, hmm, I think we could do this. And I'm pretty sure that's the exact words I used. Yeah, I think we can do this. And he kind of looked at me and then I was like, really, I think we could. And so then he started asking questions, making phone calls, looking into it. And not every door opened, but a lot of doors opened. It was easier than you thought to get into and it. So, and so, and financially it wasn't unreasonable. Mm -hmm. um, we used a small business loan. And, which we've since paid back in full, so that's been nice, good. Um, and our own personal money to start, so we didn't get any investors. It's all been our doing. Uh, we didn't borrow any money from family or friends or anything like that. Um, we took it upon ourselves to say, if we succeed in this, it's on us. That's if great. We, if we fail, it's on us too. <laughs> so great. And it's worked out, yeah. Doors have just kept opening. Um, there have certainly been people that have said, you can't do this, you know, you're not capable, you're, you're not in the right place. We've, we've definitely had naysayers, we, we definitely have, but we've had far more positive people. And you've, and you've had success because and, you're and doing we, great with the restaurants. And so um, yeah. I'm looking at this yeah. beautiful plate of them right now that they just brought us here. And they certainly look beautiful and plump. Clean. Now, is this the group you harvested yesterday? Steve, you I'm pulled these sure. out of the water? I'm not sure. I have water? to ask Chef Motto which ones he used. It's either from last week or from yesterday. We, uh, we deliver once a week. Okay. And last so, week's were great. And, and they can last upwards of three weeks. Can they? Yes, ma'am. And how do you keep them? How do you keep them so they're, they stay fresh for a week? You just got to keep cold. them cold. Just cold. By law, Refri we have to keep them under 45 good degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. 
So, would you like to try one, man? Sure. They're so good. Sorry I didn't offer you. No, that's okay. (laughs) We'll try one. The best way to try them is just like that. Just plain. Yeah, and chew them. That's my favorite. Mm -hmm. Get the flavor. I mean, Mm -hmm. put anything on it and it's still good. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, so we also sell our oysters through Jolie Pearl, and that oyster bar downtown was our first place. Those are wonderful. Wonderful. They really are. So what's the the acceptance been like from the restaurants and what's the market like here for these oysters and and are y'all making inroads in new orleans and and elsewhere in louisiana a lot of the other farmers already sell to new orleans and doing the same thing i grew up in montreal and toronto and i hate traffic so (laughs) coming to baton rouge to deliver is hard enough going to new orleans uh, we've had restaurant owners even come to see us at our property in Grand Isle and say, why aren't you selling to us? They've begged us. They've and left just, us cards. So, They've I mean, there called aren't, us. They know. <laughs> there aren't other farms using this technology that are selling to New Orleans. There's, there's one other individual that's using floating cage technology. The other one, uh, he's using cages, but they're on the bottom. No, we need so the floating, floating cage. Yeah, his is still protected, though, because he's it's got them in mesh the cages surface. so they don't get eaten. He produces mm-hmm. a very high-quality oyster as well. He sells to Bourbon House, Commander's Palace. Okay. But he does think our oysters are a little bit different. They're different. But he's in a different location, so they could be different based on that alone. Sure. Um, sure. Just the oyster. You know, I mean, I, do you see yourself expanding to the point where maybe you'd have a distributor or, a, or at least a delivery man? Right now we have three restaurants. We sell to Mansour's on the Boulevard, French Market Bistro, and the Jolie Pearl Oyster Bar downtown. Jolie Pearl's opening up a second location in January, and... I think that's enough as far as the, the farm business goes. Our nursery business, on the other hand, which we keep bringing up, uh, that we're expanding quite a bit in the springtime. Okay. So it's, that's really where you see the growth is in the nursery business. Nursery business. And we're also in uh, conversation right now about starting a commercial hatchery in the state. Right now we're relying on a state-run facility. Uh, and we need a more consistent supply of oysters, the so, triploid oysters. So tell me just a little bit about the nursery business, because obviously you're not harvesting them and bringing them to, you just keep Got them small well, and then sell them as babies to other make sure growers? That we get the whole process across. The, the first step is to have a hatchery. Mm-hmm. Hatchery produces larvae. The larvae then move to the nursery. The nursery grows those into seed, and then the seed are sold to the farm. So it's a three-step process. You start with a hatchery. And use a nursery, right. and then use the farm. Okay. And so what we did first was start the farm, and now we moved back having a, a nursery, and now we're probably going to step back and start a commercial hatchery in the spring of 2018. Okay. A lot of people don't know, the first two weeks of that oyster's life in the hatchery, they're little tiny microscopic larvae that are swimming in the water column. They have a shell, but they're so light that they can swim around in the water column with little tiny pellets. Uh, paddles called cilia okay and after about two weeks time they get the environmental cues and the size required to settle down on oysters in an oyster reef and so we do that artificially in our nursery in grand isle and we grow them up then in a in a nursery until they're big enough about one to three millimeters in size most of the time and then a fedex truck comes picks them up (laughs) and off they go to states like north carolina florida alabama interesting mississippi and a lot to our own state as well state of louisiana now how do you all market uh, through social media or through industry for pubs the, and channels or what for the seed we do most of the marketing through social media so facebook instagram and word of mouth a lot of the farms that are struggling and, and not able to get seed it's a major major problem right now they'll they'll tell their buddies hey i just got seed from pollock over at triple n give them a call 
And okay. if we have enough, we'll, we're more than happy to send them over. And, and you've seen a lot of growth. There's a lot of growth. There's a lot of demand. And there's a lot of changes going on right now as well. The two main hatcheries on the whole of the Gulf Coast are the one we have in Grand Isle, state-owned, Sea Grant and Wildlife Fisheries. And then there's another one in Dauphin Island in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And that's it? That's the it. The whole but Gulf Coast. Currently, wow. there's two commercial hatcheries starting up, one in Alabama, one in Florida. And it's going to change supply quite a bit in that region and there's changes going on here with our own hatchery in Grand Isle and not uh, ours personally we don't have one yet but the wildlife the, 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 when, the I, when I say one. ours I yeah, mean yeah. Yeah, Louisiana, yeah, yeah. Louisiana one. yeah where do you want to see this business in say five years what's your what's your medium range growth plan I'd like to operate a, a small commercial scale hatchery slash nursery and help out farmers across the Gulf Coast and this new and booming off-bottom oyster cage market, which includes a lot of growth that's going to happen in our own state of Louisiana. Right now, there's only really three people in the state that I know of, including ourselves, so two others beside us that are doing the off-bottom aquaculture of oysters. And that's what makes them so great. That's what makes a superior oyster, but there's a cost associated with that, and that cost has to get passed eventually to somebody that's going to be eating them and buying them. So... How much are the restaurants marking up? Uh, you know? Mansour's on the Boulevard does it as a, a six oyster appetizer for eighteen dollars. Okay. So they get a. So it's, it's, it's not cheap. It's a it's a three hundred. I've had friends that I work with have sent me emails. They've come by my office and popped in and said, "I took my my parents there. I took my you know friend there. I took someone there, and they were the best oysters." Like. I think people are willing to pay the price once they've tasted them. Right. And Mansour's has done an amazing job at offering mm-hmm. them to their customers and encouraging their customers to try them. Once you try them, you will want them again, hands down. Um, even if they weren't my oysters, I would say that. <laughs> I mean, I'm still tasting the oyster in my mouth. I love well, the flavor that much. A good example of that, we have one person that buys from us consistently. That's a fourth-generation oysterman, classic old school. Okay. Last time I brought him some, he looked at me, and he basically said, my daddy must be rolling over in his grave because <laughs> I'm paying a dollar an oyster for you, and I've got 40,000 acres of oyster wow. lease. But he knows, he knows they're different. He values the flavor in them, and he's willing to pay the the extra bit to get, get his hands story. on them. So. Yeah, well, I think that's the best compliment we've ever received. That, really, when you have somebody that's been in the business that long, for them to say that the area you raise your oysters, I remember going there when I was a kid, and my dad taking oysters off bottom there, and they were the best oysters he had ever had. And then to tell us that our oysters are just as good. Well, Ginger Brennan Stool and Steve Pollack, this has been so much fun, and it's always inspiring to hear Stories, you know, with entrepreneurs who really hit on a great idea and appear to be on a trajectory toward making it big. Y'all are bringing so much to an industry here that's near and dear to everyone's heart. So continued good luck and thanks for sharing your stories and your oysters. Thank you. With me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been husband and wife team Ginger Brennanstool and Steve Pollock of the Triple N Oyster Farm. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on It's Baton Rouge Facebook page. You can hear this show and past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsbatonrouge.la. 
Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for its BatonRouge.LA and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. 